Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So we are remaining in um, Matthew 13 for several weeks here, and the, the setting is the same as last week. Uh, the reign of heaven is being violently attacked. John is in prison. He will soon lose his head. Galilean cities fail to repent at the preaching of our Lord. Jesus is accused of being in league with the devil. His own family does not believe in him. Israel's leadership is rejecting Jesus and seeking to kill him. And therefore, he resorts to teaching in parables. And as we said last week, parables are a way of teaching in code. It's a way of flying under the radar of censorship. The authorities cannot arrest Jesus for what he's saying now because they don't understand what he's saying. But the disciples do understand, especially when Jesus explains the meaning of the parables to them in private. In other words, the parables are given to both conceal and to reveal. They conceal the truth about the kingdom from those who are already rejecting the gospel message, but they reveal deep truths about the kingdom to those who receive and believe the gospel message. So, page 11 in your bulletin, the sermon outline, Roman numeral one, why all this opposition to our Lord? Well, letter A, as we learned last week, not all soil is good, right? The parable of the soils, there's a soil that was flung on the path, hard and packed down. The birds can see, can see that seed and they can gobble it up. Some seed falls on the rocky ground. It doesn't make it. And the thorny ground as well. Again, no fruit there. So not all soil is good, letter A. Letter B, not all seed is good either, as we learn in our gospel reading for this morning. Our gospel lesson focuses on a particular kind of seed, a particular kind of plant, known as wheat's evil twin. Uh, in Greek, it's zizania. Uh, in English, we call it darnel. And point number one, darnel is poisonous, and it resembles wheat. If you consume too many of its seeds, it can kill you. It resembles wheat. It looks like wheat in its early stages of growth, but at maturity, you can distinguish it from the wheat. And I sh I've shown you a picture on the front of your bulletin. Uh, I think you've already seen that. The wheat on the left, the darnel on the right, when they mature with the seed head, uh, you can tell the difference. So the parable of, that Jesus tells is taken from real life. The Romans made it a crime to sow darnel in someone's field. So it happened. Point number two. In literature, Darnell symbolizes subversion and treachery, even drunkenness. The Roman poet Ovid wrote that eating Darnell seeds blurs your vision and slurs your speech. Shakespeare mentions it in several of his plays as well, not in a positive way. Letter C, a quote from Luther, Whenever the Lord plants his church, the good seed, the devil builds a chapel 
And in fact, the devil's chapel is often larger and better funded than the Lord's church. Roman numeral two, the response of the church to the, to the weeds, to the Darnell. My friends, when we are confronted with evil, the first question we ask is, how did this happen? And that's covered in verse 27. The servants ask, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares or weeds? That's the first question we ask, why? The second question we ask when we're confronted with evil is, what are we gonna do about it? Verse 28, the slaves said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? It's perfectly natural to ask, what are we gonna do about this problem? Let's clean it up. Letter A, our vocation, our calling from God, however, is not eliminate those who commit lawlessness. Now, we're all lawless, but to commit lawlessness, in the Greek it's very clear, this is to practice it, is to be intentional about doing it. I want to do this, you know. You and I, as followers of Christ, when we're lawless, it's out of weakness. We don't want to do it, but the evil nature's there, it just comes out. But to practice it, that's another matter. But our vocation is not to coerce those or to eliminate those who practice lawlessness. It is the state that bears the sword. The church does not. At the arrest of our Lord, Peter would pull out his sword, earning Christ's rebuke. And that mistake has been made over and over throughout history. When Christianity became legal in the Roman Empire, it wasn't long before the state began to persecute unbelievers outside the church and to go after false teachers within the church. And all of that really gave the church a black eye. In the Middle Ages, the church instituted the Inquisition to ferret out false teaching and to torture and to execute anyone accused of heresy. You'd just be accused of it and you could die. It didn't have to be proven. Whenever the church engages in witch hunts, whenever the church attempts to purify itself or to purify society through coercion, we become our own worst enemy. Many sad examples of this. Prohibition in the 1920s is one example. In the 70s and 80s, uh, Reverend Jerry Falwell and the Moral Majority is another example. Reverend Billy Graham, to his credit, remained politically neutral for a long time, but eventually he crossed the line and became too closely associated with certain politicians and with their causes, and he later regretted it. He said it compromised the gospel ministry, and he's right. I remember back in the 90s, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to boycott Disney World and Disneyland, the whole Disney industry, and you can feel, you can disagree with me on this. I wouldn't give a dime to Disney. I wouldn't then, I wouldn't now. But it's not my place as a minister of the gospel to lead a crusade to damage Disney Incorporated economically or to try to force Disney into thinking like me. God has not given the church the power to coerce or to force change on other people. God has given the government that power. Let them use it. God has given the church the power of the word. 
the power to persuade. Letter B, our vocation is to wait on the Lord. Our calling from God is to wait on the Lord to clear out the weeds, to wait on the Lord to purify society. We're not called to do that. As David said in 1 Samuel 17, the battle is the Lord's. The temptation for the church is to act like the state or to employ the state to eliminate the weeds or to eliminate the influence of the weeds in society. But it is, in the final analysis, a fool's errand. It takes a tremendous amount of self-restraint to allow the weeds to continue growing alongside the wheat. God is willing to wait, and we should as well, if for no other reason than the weeds can eventually become wheat. Weeds can become wheat. We were all weeds at one time. Weeds can become wheat, not by political means, not by coercion, but by the power of the word. My friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only power on earth able to transform an individual from the inside out. It's the only power that can turn weeds into wheat. Roman numeral three, the response of the master. Letter A, he protects the wheat. The master prohibits his servants from uprooting the weeds lest they uproot the wheat along with the weeds. Whatever the master does, he does for the sake of the wheat, including those weeds which will eventually become wheat. Letter B, he endures the darnel. He bears with the darnel. He does that his whole life. He bears with us, does he not? He endured Judas Iscariot. Jesus endured the presence of Judas. He did not remove or banish Judas from the company of disciples. Jesus endured arrest. He endured an unjust trial. He endured mockery, spitting, slapping, scourging, rejection, crucifixion. Why? The writer of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy of seeing weeds become wheat, Jesus endured the evil. He endured the presence of evil and its influence in his culture. One more reason we should endure the weeds is this. Let me ask you, can you tell by looking who's a weed and who's a wheat? You can't look into anyone's heart and tell that. Only God can. We can only go by what people say, by the confession that they make. We commend them for their confession. We may, in our hearts, condemn them for their lack thereof. But aside from that, aside from what they say, we can't distinguish weeds from wheat. So Roman numeral four, takeaways. Letter A, the inevitable question, how do I know whether I'm weed or wheat? Well, remember what our Lord said, for God so loved the world, and the world is filled with weeds. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What did Jesus say? Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Believe that. But, 
Suppose I believe that and have been baptized. What if I still have doubts about my salvation? What if I sin more than other people who aren't even Christians? Am I still the Lord's wheat? Well, my friends, I've said it before, but it bears repeating. The more that I look at my own life, the more honest I am about my own sinfulness, the more I doubt my own salvation. To focus on myself and my own paltry works is to create doubt and more doubt in my heart. The more I look at my own life and the more honest I am with myself, the more questions I have about my own fitness for heaven. However, the more I take my eyes off myself and put them on the cross, the more confident I become that I too am God's grain. Jesus did not come for the righteous. He came to save sinners. I must despair of my own righteousness before I will place my trust in the righteousness of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. The more I look to Jesus, the more I remind myself of his work, the more my assurance of salvation grows. My friends, in Christ, you are already forgiven. In Christ, you've been washed and sanctified. It's done. Take your eyes off yourself and your own works. Look to Christ and his work on the cross because he is there for you. In him alone we find comfort. And in him alone we find confidence to stand without fear before God. Letter B. We are sons of the kingdom, not subjects. We're sons, not subjects. That is to say, sons are the ones who inherit. Whether we are male or female, we are all sons of God in that we inherit the kingdom by grace. And note, in this parable, the seed that God sows in the world, it's not the word. It's not the gospel message he sows. The seed in this parable is people. He sows you and me into the world. He sows you into a particular place, a particular time, so that you might grow and produce fruit wherever you may be. Yes, it's a weedy world. No, it's not the world God made. It's the world we've made by our sinfulness. But God endures this world we have made until the full number of his sons is gathered in. Letter C. We will outlast this unweeded world because we have a hope and a future. We've been given a hope and a future in Christ. My friends, there is glory in every believer in Jesus, but it is a glory that is hidden. It's a glory that is hidden under suffering and even death. It's a glory that today is hidden from view. And it's probably a good thing, because if our glory became visible today, we would fall victim to pride. That is to say, the wheat may look no different than the weeds today. When others see you today, they cannot tell whether you are weed or wheat but notice verse 43, page 10 of your gospel reading, the last verse. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun. That's a quote from Daniel 12, 
verse 3, where Daniel prophecies the resurrection. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. I remember years ago being in Strasbourg, France, and going to the light show at the cathedral. And by the way, if you're ever in France and you can only see one cathedral, I wouldn't go to Notre Dame. I would go to Strasbourg. It's the most beautiful Gothic structure I've ever seen. And the light show is amazing at night. Uh, they project these lights and all this music going on. They project it onto the, the facade, the front of this huge structure. Beautiful, very intricate, Gothic architecture. It's an amazing light show. But you know, I got thinking about it. That light show is nothing compared to the light show that you and I will be involved in in that day. Notice verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun. You and I will be God's light show. The righteousness of Christ, the glory of God itself will shine through you and shine through me. And nothing on this earth can compare with that cosmic light show. My friends, the suffering of the present time are indeed not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We need that reminder more than we know because the evil we see within ourselves and in our world can drive us to despair. We need to be reminded that this sad state of affairs will not last. According to Christ, the world today is like an unweeded field. It is frustrating at best and it is terrifying at worst. The temptation for us is to become distracted by the evil in our midst, whether it's abortion or redefining marriage or transgenderism, the list goes on and on. The temptation for us is to become unhinged by these things and to take matters into our own hands. The temptation for us is to become so preoccupied with these things that we forget Christ and his promise. And when we do that, we're being manipulated by the evil one himself. It is not our place to eliminate evil. It is not given to us to uproot anything. That is God's job. He alone will do it. Our task is to wait for God to act. Our task is to keep looking forward to that day when he will. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.